Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. In some ways, the U.S. economy is in the eye of the hurricane, with high-speed winds circling across the Atlantic through the U.K., Western Europe, and the Middle East, and across the Pacific through Japan, Russia, China, and India. The wind speeds are also picking up in Canada, now in its fourth consecutive month of unemployment increases. Serious and growing threats warn of major disruptions ahead for us, as the eye of the storm is only a temporary safe zone. Our podcasts are certainly intended to share with you a brief curated summary of strategic world economic trends, generally not covered very well, if at all, by the media. Since we focus on higher education, we're pleased to go beyond identifying emerging economic trends and into helping you frame these trends yourself for your own future plans and decisions. In brief, to present useful frameworks that will help you recognize economic trends and opportunities. As this podcast is recorded, I'm quite pleased to announce that UCLA for the sixth consecutive year is named the number one public university in the United States by U.S. News and World Report. We continue to strive to well serve our many audiences, including you, our long-standing podcasters. In this spirit, I want to highlight a global economic perspective that many of you will recognize as you've all experienced it in one way or another. You may not know the name of it, so I'll give you the name. It's called a Minsky moment, M-I-N-S-K-Y moment. And again, you can Google for more details in history. But for now, don't be concerned about the definition as we'll build up to it by starting with specific issues that we're facing today and we'll build up to the definition. But here's a hint. It relates directly to the vast buildup of debt in the last decade in almost all countries, including the U.S. and China. Why discuss the Minsky moment now? Because the world is now at a tipping point, including our stock markets and bond markets, with energy supplies having the leverage to put many economies into a deep recession or worse, starting now, or in some cases, starting in the past six months or so. Energy or energy shortages and supply disruptions are the primary levers for today's risk of economic disasters. Let's start by recognizing oil and to a little bit of a lesser extent natural gas. These cargoes are bought, sold, and transported in a constantly changing global marketplace. Well, you know that, but maybe you're not aware that a single oil tanker loaded with Saudi-produced crude oil may have its cargo change ownership multiple times during its voyage, depending on transport costs per hour, availability of storage in each global receiving port, and the price oil refiners in each country pay or offer to pay for the ship. In brief, countries that experience shortages will pay more day-to-day. Cargos will move to those countries, creating new shortages in the more energy-secure countries, like us, threatening new shortages there. Prices are constantly changing during an oil tanker's voyage, and ports to receive the cargo also are changing. 
This winter, Saudi crude oil shipments will be diverted from U.S. ports to European ports as the Europeans must replace the missing Russian supplies. And why do I offer this reminder? Well, chronic oil and natural gas shortages impact the global price of these commodities after first impacting the regional prices. Well, the regional prices are impacted now in Europe, and it's moving to the global scene. For example, we know that Russia closed the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Northern Europe, and we know they are not completing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. The closure of these pipelines, or lack of completion of Nord Stream 2, has increased the Northern European cost of natural gas five to 10 times since last year. Let me repeat that. That's not 50%. That's five to 10 times since last year. As a consequence, European distributors are bidding up the prices of liquefied natural gas from both the Middle East and the United States. Natural gas prices, as a result, are now in the United States at record highs. And while I say they're at record highs, please keep in mind natural gas fuels approximately 40% of all of our U.S. electricity production. We're not in as bad a situation as Europe, at least not yet. But home heating this winter, in addition to nationally higher electricity bills, will begin to impact U.S. households, as well as severely impacting European households. The same is true for crude oil. Once our U.S. president is forced to discontinue the sales of almost 1 million barrels per day out of our strategic petroleum reserve, trying to keep U.S. oil and gasoline prices lower before the November Senate and House elections. It's estimated that these sales from our strategic reserves have reduced gas prices at the pump about 40 cents a gallon. Putting politics aside, these sales are going to have to stop fairly soon if we are going to have a strategic oil reserve at all. So far, our 720 million barrel reserve has dropped to just above 400 million barrels and is dropping at the rate of 25 to 30 million barrels a month. As of today, our reserve will be gone in 14 to 16 months. So this cannot continue. And once it doesn't continue, gasoline prices can be expected to pop up 40 cents or more a gallon. But let's look at the bigger picture for a few minutes. Is the energy issue going to get better or get worse? In my view, much worse as we move through the winter months, both because of winter itself and because of global economic changes that will impact the U.S. throughout the winter, the spring, and into the full year 2023. What's the scale of the energy challenge? As Bloomberg put it, quote, Aside from inflating bills and fanning inflation, the biggest energy crisis in decades is sucking up capital to guarantee wild price swings. That's putting pressure on European Union officials to intervene to prevent energy markets from stalling. And this sort of is reminiscent of 2008-2009 when the Federal Reserve in Congress appropriated or, or actually created hundreds of billions of new money to keep the financial markets from stalling. Now it's the energy markets. Norwegian energy giant Equinor warned that European energy trading will grind to a halt unless governments extend liquidity to cover margin calls in the energy futures markets of at least 1.5 trillion, that's T, 1.5 trillion euros or dollars, pretty much the same now. 
Equinor's senior vice president for gas and power said in an interview recently, the issue is focused on derivative trading, which we pointed out more than a year ago as a overhang issue for the global financial market. The issue is focused on derivative trading. While the physical market is functioning, he said, adding the company's estimate for $1.5 trillion to prop up so-called paper trading is conservative. In other words, massive amounts of newly printed funding with yields blowing up Europe's physical stimulus before it really got started will force central banks to step in and backstop the latest energy hyperinflation. In other words, a bailout. And that will be required and is required now to avert an energy disaster starting in Europe. This bailout will effectively raise the European money supply by $1.5 trillion, or about 10%, and all at once. Inflation is already running at 10% plus, 15% plus, in many European countries, so this bailout will only add significantly to the inflation problem. The impact on families can be more draconian than overall inflation. Let's take Italy, for example. According to Goldman Sachs, Italian household energy bills could rise by a multiple of two or three or four from last year to this year. For most families and industrial customers, energy bills are renegotiated every 12 months. Goldman Sachs estimates energy bills for most consumers will be at a peak this winter. They estimate that 500 euros a month cost for power and gas will be typical, and that's a 200% increase versus last year when average bills were 160 euros a month. Energy bills further could approach 600 euros per month in a zero-flow scenario from Russia with respect to natural gas, and that is the scenario we are in right now. It's a zero-flow through Nord Stream 1 and lack of completion of Nord Stream 2, which accounts for about 40% of Europe's natural gas needs. For Europe, these increases would be equivalent to near $2 trillion in increases in gas and power spending, which is about 15% of gross domestic product, in addition to the $1.5 trillion bailout that we just mentioned. In this nightmare scenario, energy bills would constitute, across Europe, about 20% of household gross disposable income. Again, that's up four times, five times, or more. That really would take away any disposable income from most households in Europe and actually eat into mortgage payments and car payments, lease payments, and possibly even food requirements. While Goldman Sachs doesn't say it, the biggest winner from this historic transfer of wealth that's going on in Europe, one that sees Europe's standard of living implode as disposable income evaporates, is Vladimir Putin and Russia. Now we're ready to think about the Minsky moment. When times are good, investors take on risk and households take on risk. The longer times stay good, the more risk they take on until they've taken on too much. Taking on too much risk, whether from buying more house than you can afford to buy or being encouraged to do so, or investing in high-risk stock funds or high-risk bonds for the promise of a 20 or 30% gain is basically now classified as a gamble. And it's seductive to fall back on natural optimism and believe that house prices and investments will continue to appreciate indefinitely or that we'll see the drop coming in time to get out. However, the longer we are rewarded with gains, the more risk we are willing to take. We either directly take on more risk or we stay in the risks that we are in and with the risk going higher. When the risks reach a maximum level, we can call that a Minsky moment. 
And let me explain what I'm talking about with respect to a specific country, Germany, this time. Credit Suisse presented what may be the most insightful snippet of the entire European energy crisis so far when Credit Suisse extended the famous Minsky moment framework to all of Europe but including specifically Germany, which Credit Suisse indicated cannot cover its payments without Russian gas and the government asking citizens to conserve energy to leave more for its industry. Credit Suisse then elaborated that Minsky moments are triggered by excessive financial leverage, and in the context of supply chains, leverage means excessive operating leverage, in other words, debt. And specifically in Germany, $2 trillion of value added, in other words, factory production, depends upon only $20 billion of natural gas from Russia. Let me repeat that and say it a little different way. If $20 billion of natural gas is withdrawn from the marketplace, which it has been withdrawn recently, Germany loses $2 trillion of value-added production. That's a 100 times leverage. They're losing 100 times the value of the production from the value of the natural gas. And that's much more than Lehman Brothers had when their downfall ushered in the Great Recession of 2008-2009. That caused a domino effect around the world that we all know pretty well. I think we all experienced that in one way or another. It's safe to assume Germany's industrial production is highly leveraged to natural gas from Russia, which means if we carry it further, that if the factories have to be put on partial operation or shut down totally, that has a direct impact on employment. Now in Europe, the unemployment is compensated by social funds of the governments, but the governments themselves don't have the cash, the money, to subsidize that kind of increase in unemployment. So that has another secondary impact on inflation as they try to raise money. They try to borrow money. They create new euros. So we get into a spiral that gets worse and worse. And we were in that spiral back in 2008, 2009. In Europe, we are entering that spiral. We're in that spiral, I would argue, now, but because of energy, not because of the housing subsidized bond or securitization market that existed 2008, 2009 that crashed. Now it's the energy issue. When Russia shut down Nord Stream 1, they shut down 40% of the supply of Western Europe's natural gas. And as mentioned, natural gas is not only used for heating homes, but it's key for electricity production and direct use in fueling production facilities, plants, and equipment usage. Regardless of where Europe gets natural gas in the future, the net result will be much higher utility bills, which in turn will have a ripple effect in the U.S. marketplace, as mentioned before. Adding to the issues, there is a growing possibility of regime change in Russia that could make even more of a substantial disruption in crude and natural gas markets. Putin and Russia may actually be a moderate, which is pretty scary, with the oligarchs more and more committed to pass on their pain to the United States and Europe. Additionally, Putin Putin recently replaced his longtime ally, Defense Minister Shoigu, over frustration with the progress in his war with Ukraine. And as we make this recording, there is a concern that Russia is going to officially declare war on the Ukraine, which will open up a substantially more disastrous situation as the balance of natural gas to Europe flows through Ukraine pipelines, and that could be cut off in an instant. Furthermore, six of Putin's allies have been shot or blown up. So 
Putin's inner circle is becoming increasingly isolated. This is not a political podcast, but we can't be totally deaf to what's going on that will affect the economics. So in total, if the U.S. job creation machine winds down, as it now seems to be doing, that will put pressure on the Fed to stop raising interest rates. And in a prior podcast, we opined that September may be the last Federal Reserve interest rate hike, really no matter what they've said so far. And the international situation, coupled with declining employment in Canada, coupled with the issues we raised above, has an opportunity for the Fed to interpret or declare victory on inflation, which couldn't be further from the indices now, but to find a reason to pause interest rate increases. So in total, it's going to be a lot more volatile in the energy, the stock, and the bond markets between now and year end. Overall, we are seeing declining earnings. The globally respected economist Ed Yardini officially expects Standard & Poor's 500 earnings to significantly decline in the third and fourth quarters of this year. And I think I'm going to avoid going into the details of the economic releases that have been made so far and indicate that the official releases show that the unemployment rate in the United States has increased. The labor force participation is up slightly from the summer, but on a plateau now. Average earnings have increased about 5.2% in the past year, which shows the inclusion of a lot of the raw materials inflation we've talked about before being made more permanent in wage rates. Recently, ADP, which is a reporter of payrolls, indicated that private payrolls rose only 132,000 in August, and that was down from 268,000. It appears that job growth is slowing dramatically. The Labor Department has revised its second quarter productivity to a 4.1% negative rate, which again is not positive for new hiring. And in the past 12 months through the end of the second quarter, the Labor Department is reporting a 2.4% productivity decline, that's year over year, which represents the largest annual productivity decline since these metrics began in 1948. Overall, in the energy markets, a final comment, the big drop in crude prices recently appears to be largely seasonal and based on recession fears emanating from Asia and Europe. Russia's crude oil exports to Asia have been at a five-month low based upon the seasonality, importantly. But the U.S. Energy Information Administration reported on Wednesday that U.S. demand for crude oil is actually larger than analysts have expected, with crude oil inventories declining. And this is importantly a result of crude oil sales from the petroleum, strategic petroleum reserve. One final comment. One reader said, where do I put my investment money? I'll repeat what we covered in a prior podcast. The energy sector appears to be not only a timely place to consider investments, perhaps the energy exchange-traded funds, 3.3% dividends are paid across the energy sector. Real estate, 3.1% dividends across many of the real estate exchange-traded funds. So for safety, for dividends, and recognizing the economic issues that we're facing now, I'll leave those thoughts with you. Again, we're not a financial advisor. We are an education provider. So please consider the Minsky moment issue across the United States and into the rest of the world. Specifically consider your risk profile of your investments. And we'll note again, please, as much as possible, be more liquid, have more cash, 
consider selling investments that have performed quite well and look at energy and real estate as potential beneficiaries of the environment that's unfolding. Thank you again. Take care, be careful, and carefully watch your risk profiles. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.